Good morning. Today we will follow the order of service, which is printed out in your bulletin. And our opening hymn this morning is hymn number 330, I Come to Thee, O Blessed Lord.
ask you to please stand. O Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come into your presence this day to seek your mercy, to hear your word, and to offer up our prayers and praises. Hear us for the sake of the Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and his atoning sacrifice on the cross for our sins. Amen. In the epistle, in the first epistle of St. John, the Bible tells us, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us in righteousness. Let us therefore confess our sins unto the Lord and look to him for mercy and forgiveness. Almighty God, our maker and redeemer, we poor sinners confess unto you that we are by nature sinful and unclean, and that we have sinned against you in our thoughts, desires, words, and deeds. Therefore, we flee for refuge to your infinite mercy, seeking and imploring your grace for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible also tells us in St. John, John's first epistle, My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. For the sake of Jesus' holy life, and his atoning sacrifice on the cross, I announce unto you the grace and mercy of God, and in the name and stead of Jesus Christ our Savior, forgive you all your sins, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. For our psalm today, we read Psalm 97 responsibly with the congregation, reading those verses in bold type. The Lord reigneth, let the earth rejoice. Let the multitude of isles be glad thereof. Clouds and darkness are round about him. Righteousness and judgment are habitation of the strong. A fire goeth before him and burneth up his enemies round about. His lightnings enlighten the world. The earth saw and trembled. The hills melted like wax at the presence of the Lord at the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. Confounded be all they that serve graven images, that boast themselves of idols. Worship him, all ye gods. For thou, Lord, art high above all earth, Thou art exalted far above all gods. Light is sown for the righteous and gladness for the upright in heart. This time we sing hymn number 244. 
Glory be to God the Father, and you may remain standing. epistle lesson for today recorded in the book of Romans and we read in chapter 1 the first 17 verses Paul a servant of Jesus Christ called to be an apostle separated unto the gospel of God which he had promised afore by his prophets in the holy scriptures concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord who was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. 
For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request, if by any means, now at length, I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift, to the end ye may be established." that is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. For I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise, so as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Here ends our reading of the epistle. I ask you to please rise for the reading of the Holy Gospel. The Holy Gospel for today is recorded in St. Matthew's Gospel in chapter 8, beginning at the first verse. When he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus saith unto him, See, thou tell no man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh. And to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west, and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. Here ends our reading of the Holy Gospel. We join in confessing our faith. We use the words of the Apostles' Creed, which are printed out for you in the bulletin. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, 
who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered in Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. We continue by singing hymn 297, The Gospel Shows the Father's Grace. It looks like I neglected it. No, I do have it up there. Hymn 297.
Again, I ask you to bow your heads and join me in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray again your Holy Spirit's guidance and blessing upon the speaking and the hearing of your word this day, that we might be strengthened in our faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and hold fast to him unto life everlasting. We pray your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, we consider our epistle reading from Romans chapter 1. And again, I would like to spend some time over the next several weeks going through uh, St. Paul's epistle to the Romans in, our, in a sermon series. This letter to the Romans, it is thought, was written from Corinth, which would have been on Paul's uh, return trip from a missionary journey as he's coming back to Jerusalem. And it was written probably a little over two years, two and a half years, maybe a little longer, uh, before he actually went to Rome. He planned to go to Rome and he hoped to go to Rome, but possibly not quite like he did go to Rome because he returned to Jerusalem and there was arrested spent two years in prison in Caesarea, or Caesarea appealed to Caesar and went to Rome as a prisoner of Caesar's. And it was rather an eventful trip, even being shipwrecked and landing on the island of Malta before he finally arrived in Rome. He begins his epistle much like uh, the most epistles begin, you know, in our, in our English language, we're used to writing a letter and we usually put a date on it. Maybe nobody writes letters anymore. We do texts, but uh, you put a date on it and then you write who it's to. And if somebody really reads from beginning to end, they don't know who it's from until they get to the very end, see who signed the letter. Well, practice of Paul and the practice of letter writing at that time was to tell somebody right from the start who the letter is from, and then say who it is to, uh, so that people are clear all along the way exactly who is writing this letter. And so he begins, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. And so it is written by the apostle Paul. He is called to be an apostle. We think of his calling on the road to Damascus when he is going there in order to arrest and bring back Christians from Damascus to Jerusalem to stand trial, to be punished for their faith in Jesus Christ. And there on the way, Jesus appears to him and he becomes a Christian. He's baptized when he gets to Damascus, he becomes a Christian and begins preaching the gospel. But we also read in Acts chapter 9 that Paul was called, even at that time, to be an apostle to the Gentiles, to go to the Gentiles with the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, this had been promised before by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, and there are numerous passages throughout the prophets and the Psalms which speak about the gospel going to the Gentiles, and Gentiles coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And of course, numerous, numerous passages with gospel promises that God would send 
the seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent. Or we think of the promise to David that one of his, one from his own descendants would sit upon the throne forever. And this gospel, of course, as it says in verse three, is concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. And we might think back to the Old Testament in 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel, uh, David desired to, as the king, desired to build a house for the Lord. And he tells Nathan the prophet of his plans to build a temple for the Lord because he said, here I am, you know, I'm sitting in this fine palace and the Lord's house is still a tent. And Nathan initially says, well, this sounds great, Dave. It's a great plan, but before he can get out, God tells him to go back and tell David, you can't build me a temple because you have bloody hands. David was a man of war, had been fighting wars all his life. And God not only says that, but he says his son would build him a temple, but then God makes a promise to David. You know, you wanna build me a house, but I am going to build you a house. Second Samuel chapter seven, At verse 16, he says, And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. And so Nathan comes back to David, you know, with these words, you want to build the Lord a house, but God says, you're not going to be the one to do it. It will be your son who will do it. But God is going to build you a house. And your descendants, one of your descendants will reign on the throne forever. We didn't get that far in Bible class today, but in Luke chapter three, we have a genealogy, which goes all the way back from Mary, all the way back to Adam. And as it goes back to David, instead of going through Solomon and the line of kings, it goes through her son, uh, through David's son, Nathan, probably named after the prophet Nathan, although Nathan means a gift, and in this case, uh, a gift of God. But it also tells us in Jeremiah chapter 22, that in David's line, when Jeconiah was the king over Judah, God said that he was going to cut off the descendants of Jeconiah or Coniah so that none of his descendants would ever reign on the throne again. So it's kind of interesting as you look at the genealogy in the Gospel of Matthew, you see Joseph's line goes all the way back through the line of kings, through Jeconiah, all the way back to David. But no king in the line of Jeconiah was ever to reign on the throne again. When you look back at, look at Mary's genealogy in Luke chapter three, it goes all the way back to David and then all the way back to Adam, but not through the line of kings, not through Solomon, not down through Jeconiah, but through David's son, Nathan. 
And so God indeed fulfilled his word here that Jesus Christ was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. He was born in the line of David, but not through the line of Solomon and Jeconiah. He was born, though, of the seed of David. He was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. And so Jesus' resurrection from the dead declares him to be the very Son of God, because who else can rise from the dead? And of course, Jesus' resurrection on the cross also proves that his sacrifice there on the cross was sufficient payment for the sins of the world, so that when we trust in Jesus, we have forgiveness and are justified and counted righteous in God's eyes. It says, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. And so Paul had received, and it was a gift of God's grace. Paul certainly was not deserving to be called an apostle, nor is any pastor or teacher of God's word today deserving of that. It's a gift of God's grace and mercy that a fallen sinner can be brought to faith and then called to serve as a pastor and teacher of God's word. And of course, the same thing is true for each of us as a Christian in our callings. It's not something that we deserve, but it's a gift of God's grace to us. It says for obedience to the faith among all nations. Obedience to the faith does not mean that, you know, people are saved by works, by keeping some commands, but it is believing the gospel, believing the message of God's mercy and forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is obedience to faith. And he says, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. And that applied to the believers in Rome whom, you know, Paul knew some of them from uh, their times when he was in other places, but Paul had not seen or met all of them. And so this applied to the believers in Rome. They are the called of Jesus Christ. It applies to you and to me, to all who have faith in Christ. It is by the gracious calling of God that we've been brought to hear the gospel and to trust in Jesus for forgiveness and life. And so we are the called of Jesus Christ. And then we see to whom he is addressing this letter. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this letter is addressed to all the believers who are in Rome, who are part of the church in Rome. They are beloved of God because God loved them and sent his son to die for them. And God graciously brought them to hear the gospel and to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. They are to be saints, not because of some super extraordinary works, but they are saints through faith in Jesus Christ. God had forgiven all their sins because Jesus paid the price. And he had clothed them in the righteousness of Christ, so that they are counted holy and righteous in the eyes of the Lord God. We have talked about this in the book of Colossians, but I always think it's such a beautiful example. In Colossians chapter 1, it says, And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, 
Yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight, if ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven. And this is really describing what it is to be a saint. It is to be counted righteous and holy, unblameable, unreprovable in God's sight, because our sins have been paid for in the blood of Jesus and we are clothed with his perfect righteousness in God's eyes. Another passage which teaches that is in Ephesians chapter 1. Where it's speaking, Paul is speaking here to the believers, and he says, Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. And so how is it that we are accepted by God the Father? It is through the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is through his atoning sacrifice for our sins that you and I are counted righteous and holy and are made acceptable in his sight so that we can be his dear children. Paul gives them the greeting which he so often gives in his epistles, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the result of God's undeserved love, of his favor toward us, totally undeserved on our part, that we have been made acceptable in his sight. God's grace to us, Jesus Christ. And as a result of God's grace to us, we have peace with God. We have peace because our sins have been paid for and forgiven and God accepts us. The enmity between us and God is removed when we are reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ. And he says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. And so Paul speaks of his prayers for the believers in Rome. In Rome. He's first thanking God through Jesus Christ for all of them because you know their faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. It's become known in the world that they are believers there. And he gives thanks to God for that. Why? Because it is God who has graciously brought them to faith. It is God who has keeps them in that faith. It's God who has made them holy and acceptable through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And notice who he calls as a witness for his prayers. He says, for God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of the Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you in my prayers. You know, we so often tell people, well, I'll be praying for you, and then we might forget. Or I've been praying for you, and we might have remembered it once. But St. Paul could call God as his witness that he was praying for them without ceasing. 
that he held them up in prayer, praying for their spiritual welfare. And I think of the words of Jesus, you know, when you pray, you know, don't go out in the streets, on the corners where everybody can see you praying and put on this show. Go into your closet. Go into your closet. Only the Father can see. And so who can see Paul's prayers? Not everybody. He didn't make a show of his prayers, but he was praying night and day for the believers scattered throughout the world that God would preserve and keep them in the true faith and giving thanks that God had brought them faith, brought them to faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says he's making request, if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end ye may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. And so St. Paul praying that now at length God might make him to come to Rome and to meet the Christians there and to be able to strengthen them in their faith through his preaching and teaching of God's word. But not only would Paul be strengthening them, their faith would strengthen the Apostle Paul. I can't tell you how often this works as a minister, that a minister works and prepares sermons and prepares Bible lessons to preach and teach to the people. And it is the people who strengthen him by sharing the things that they've learned from the scriptures and by the discussions that take place in Bible classes. And so the mutual edification is a part of ministry. Not only do ministers seek to edify, but ministers are edified through those who hear the word. Paul prays for a prosperous journey. You know, the Apostle Paul had a very prosperous journey to Rome. Not in human standards. Because his journey to Rome began being arrested in Jerusalem and they were trying to kill him. He had to be secretly rushed to Caesarea. And in Caesarea, there were, you know, attempts to have him put to death and he has to appeal to Caesar. And then he takes this boat ride, which takes him across the Mediterranean Sea and they spend weeks in a storm and they shipwreck on the island of Malta. They all have to, you know, abandon ship and grab whatever pieces and parts they can and make it to shore. There he's bitten by a poisonous snake and people are waiting for him to die and he doesn't. But he's able to bear witness to a man by the name of Publius, I believe it is, there on the island of Malta and he comes to faith and others come to faith. And then he goes, finally is taken on to Rome after spending time there. So it is a prosperous journey because all along the way, he is bearing witness to the gospel. And even as he comes into Italy and Rome, he's bearing witness to the gospel. And he probably had not had plans to visit the island of Malta and share the gospel there. But the Lord made his journey prosperous and he got to share the gospel there, even though you know, the way it happened may not look too prosperous to us. And he longed to share a spiritual gift with the believers in Rome. And he says, now 
At verse 13, now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I proposed to come unto you, but was let or prevented hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. And of course, Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles, and he's been sincerely desiring to come there that he might bear witness to the Lord Jesus Christ and have fruit. Uh, people hearing and believing the gospel there in Rome as well as in other places. And then he explains, For I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. Notice he says he's a debtor. This is what God has called him to do. So he is indebted with this task of preaching the gospel to the Greeks and the barbarians, the Greek, Greeks being, you know, the civilized world and the barbarians being those beyond who were viewed by the Greeks as barbarians because they did not hold to the Greek language and culture, both to the wise and to the unwise. And so he bore witness to those who are wise in this world and to the common man who is unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. So Paul is saying, you know, I'm ready to come. I've been praying to come. I'm ready to preach the gospel there to you in Rome as well. Well, why would he be so wanting to preach the gospel in Rome? And he explains this in the last two verses of our text today. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. It is through the same gospel that both Jew and Greek, or Jew and Gentile, come to faith in Jesus Christ. And it is the power of God. It is what God uses in order to bring people to faith in Jesus Christ. Through the preaching of the law, people are convicted of their sins, their hopeless condition, they cannot please God by their lives. They stand condemned, but through the gospel, they are told of Jesus Christ and what he has done, how he suffered and died for the sins of the world and paid in full and then rose again, and that in him, through faith in his name, there's forgiveness and life. And so it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. To those who believe, it is the power it is the tool that God used, and indeed a power tool, uh, and the battery doesn't run down, a power tool that brings us to faith and nourishes our faith in the Lord Jesus. And then he tells us why. For therein, in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written, and he quotes from Habakkuk 2, Habakkuk 2 verse 4, the just shall live by faith. The gospel reveals the righteousness of God from faith to faith. This is a passage which, for a time, troubled Dr. Martin Luther because he understood the righteousness of God revealed in the gospel to be, as most people would read this without the enlightening work of the Holy Spirit, he understood that to mean that God was righteous and holy. And the gospel reveals to us just how righteous and holy God's is and what he demands of us. To which Luther, Luther shuddered. 
because the more he studied scriptures, the more he saw how utterly sinful he was. It's one of the reasons he entered the monastery because he was afraid of God and he was seeking a way to be righteous enough for God to accept him. He was seeking to be righteous by his own life and works. But the more he tried, the more he failed. He was not benefited by being a monk and saying long prayers and even flagellating or beating himself, mistreating himself. He was not benefited by the ceremonies and traditions of the Roman church and going through all those things. And so he was very much in despair over not measuring up. But then he came to understand by the grace of God, that the righteousness of God, which is being talked about here, is not God's righteousness and holiness and his judgment upon us, but it's the righteousness of God which is imputed to sinners who are not righteous in themselves. Paul explains this much better, and we'll come to it again later, but he explains this much better in Romans chapter 3, where he says, now we know that what things whoever the law says, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But then he says, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested or revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, the law and the Old Testament scriptures spoke of this righteousness, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. And so this righteousness that is revealed in the gospel is not, you know, God is so holy and you need to measure up, but it's the righteousness of God, which he imputes to those or credits to those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ when he, in his act of obedience, fulfilled all God's commandments for us. And of course, through his passive obedience, he suffered and died and made atonement, shed his blood, paid the price for all our sins in order that we might be counted righteous and holy through faith in his name. And as it continues, as we continue here in Romans 3, he explains there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation, an atoning sacrifice, through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past or the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. And so when we trust in Jesus and his cross, God counts us righteous and holy in his sight. It's like Abraham in the Old Testament. God made Abraham a promise, and Abraham looked up, you know, God promised him that his descendants would be like the stars in the sky, like the sand on the seashore. Abraham looks up and sees the impossibility of the promise because he's an old man. His wife has passed childbearing years, 
but he believes God's promise and God credited it to him for righteousness. It may seem unbelievable to us, impossible to us, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God and Son of David, could keep all God's commandments and then be crucified and condemned by God on the cross and pay for the sins of the world. But when we trust in Jesus and what he has done for us, God credits us with his righteousness. And this is the righteousness of God which is revealed to us. When Luther came to understand, to rightly understand this passage, it lifted an unbearable weight from him because then he saw that he was righteous and holy in God's eyes in spite of his sinfulness and failings. That God forgave all his sins because of what Jesus did for him on the cross. And that God counted him righteous and acceptable and holy in his eyes, a saint in God's eyes through faith in Jesus. And of course, the same thing is true for you and for me. Churches today, many people today coming to the scriptures tend to believe the gospel is some new commandment about loving our neighbor and serving our neighbor and doing all things in hopes that somehow we will be good enough to be acceptable in God's eyes. But how can we ever measure up? And if we study the scriptures, it's going to be pretty clear, pretty quick. We don't measure up. That gospel is really no news to us. It's just more bad news, measure up. But when we come to understand what the gospel is, that the gospel reveals to us that, yes, you have failed. Yes, you are condemned by God's law. The wages of sin is death. But Jesus Christ kept those commandments for you. He paid the price. He made full atonement for your sins and the sins of all people when he suffered and died on the cross. When you quit trying to be righteous by yourself and to appease God by your own works and you place your faith in Jesus, God counts you righteous and holy and acceptable in his eyes. And as a result, now you want to live for God. Now you want to serve him and please him. And so when we come to understand this gospel, Indeed, it is the power of God unto salvation to us. Because, as St. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 3, by the law, no one can be justified. By the law is the knowledge of sin. But when we come to see that in Jesus there's a solution, that in Jesus there is forgiveness, and we place our faith and trust in Jesus, this tremendous burden is lifted off of us. No longer do we have to go around beating ourselves, thinking, you know, I can't measure up, I need to try harder. But we can rejoice in the fact that God forgives and accepts us as his own dear children. We are saints in his eyes, all because of Jesus. And as a result, we rejoice in God's salvation and we seek to live for him and serve him. Paul was ready to go to Rome and preach this gospel, and we still preach this gospel today for this very same reason. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith 
to faith. This is a gospel. This is a righteousness which is from faith in the sense that it is imputed to our faith and it is to faith. It is a gospel preached to people and received through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. For it is written, the just shall live by faith. You and I live through faith. We can't see the forgiveness of our sins. We can't even see with our eyes the results of God's eternal judgment. But we live by faith, believing that Jesus died for our sins and is risen again, that God forgives us, forgives us and accepts us for Jesus' sake. And we live our lives in the confidence that when we stand before God the Father on the last day, when we stand before our Lord Jesus Christ, when he comes to judge, that we will hear the words, pardoned, acquitted, righteous, holy, unblameable, unreprovable, because of the shed blood of Jesus. God grant that we live our lives in that faith, which is generated in us through the gospel. Amen. I invite you to join me in a word of prayer. O Holy Spirit, grant that we hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and learn of the righteousness you impute to sinners who repent of their sinful ways and look in faith to Christ Jesus and his cross for pardon, forgiveness, and life everlasting. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We continue our worship by bringing forward our offerings. I invite you to please stand and join me in the prayers of the church.
Merciful Father, for the sake of the shed blood of your Son, Christ Jesus, forgive us for failing to walk by faith in the promises of your word. Move us to read and study our Bibles regularly and to come before you with our petitions and praises. Keep us from being overcome by our sinful inclinations and preserve us in the true and saving faith unto life everlasting. Lord, in your mercy, O Christ Jesus, eternal Son of God and our Savior, you gave your life for ours when you died on the cross and made atonement for our sins. Bless the work of our pastors and of faithful pastors and missionaries everywhere, so that your life-giving word might be proclaimed among us and among the nations and peoples of the world. And those who hear might repent of their sins and look to you and your cross for pardon and forgiveness. Lord, in your mercy. O Holy Spirit, do not forsake us because of our weakness and disobedience to your word. Be patient with us and move us to continually repent of our sins and look in faith to our Savior for mercy. Teach us from your word, strengthen and keep us in the true and saving faith. Lord, in your mercy. O loving and merciful God, our nation and people are living in darkness and are under your wrath and judgment. Open the eyes and ears of our people and rulers that they might see and hear the truth of your word, repent of their evil deeds, and fall down at the feet of Jesus, pleading for pardon and forgiveness. And then seek to walk in your ways, that your judgment may be turned away and your eternal wrath against us be averted. Lord, in your mercy, O healer and preserver of both our bodies and our souls, as you have promised, we ask you to provide for all our needs of body and soul and to preserve us from all harm and danger and all evil. We lift up to you those among us who are afflicted. We remember especially today Harley, Joyce, Matthew, Carl, and all others we name in our hearts. Have mercy upon us, grant healing to the sick, comfort to those oppressed, and strength for all to endure the troubles and afflictions of this life in the hope of everlasting glory for the sake of Christ Jesus, our Savior. Lord, in your mercy. Amen. We join also in the prayer which our Lord Jesus has taught us. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. You may be seated. We continue by singing hymn 307, Draw Nigh and Take the Body of the Lord.
For I have received that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. you all to come forward. body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, given unto death for all your sins. Take and eat. This is the true body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, given unto death for all your sins. This is the true blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, shed for the remission of all your sins. Take and drink. This is the true blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, shed for the remission of all your sins.
I ask you to please stand. Now may this holy body and precious blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, strengthen and preserve you in the true faith unto life everlasting. Depart in peace, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you for Jesus' sake. takes away the sin of the world we thank you for fulfilling all righteousness in our stead and then taking upon yourself the guilt and punishment for all our sins and making full atonement for us by your perfect sacrifice on the cross and we thank and praise you for giving us to partake of your one holy sacrifice of your body and blood given and shed for us and so to partake of the blessings won for us by your death and assured to us by your glorious resurrection, forgiveness for all our sins, and the promise of eternal life. Strengthen and keep us in the true faith, and move us to live our lives for you while we await your glorious return and the joys of your everlasting kingdom. Amen. Receive now the benediction of the Lord. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Amen. You may be seated. We close by singing hymn number 47, Savior again to thy dear name we raise.
A welcome to all of you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As far as announcements, a reminder, our midweek online Bible studies at 7 o'clock Wednesday uh, via Jitsi. And we continue in St. Paul's letter to the Colossians in chapter 3. Uh, also, uh, and I, I will send out that link information probably on Wednesday afternoon or morning. Our next congregational meeting and potluck dinner is uh, following our worship service on Sunday, February 5th. And the next lady's second Saturday brunch is 11 a.m. on Saturday, February 11th. Any other announcements? Uh, still no spiral-bound hymn supplement. Uh, at least I haven't received them. Okay. Okay, so one of these days we will try out the, the new book. So, again, God's richest blessings to all of you and your Lord Jesus. Hold fast to him. Thank you.